Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Royal London, who, as proud sponsors of One Day Cricket, are also the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company, providing financial services to millions of people across the country. To find out more, visit www.royallondon.com. Welcome to The Analyst, Inside Cricket. I'm Simon Hughes. Right. Come on, be honest. Who predicted the four semi-finalists in this Champions Trophy? Well, I certainly didn't, and neither did Simon on my right. It's England against Pakistan in Cardiff, and India v Bangladesh at Edgbaston. Amazingly, three Asian teams have made it, while, of course, Australia and South Africa have gone out. And I only predicted that England and India would get the final, I think. You were the same to the semi-finals. Well, I got two of the four as well. I thought Australia and, and South Africa would be there. I thought India and England... Will be there. I think Bangladesh are a bit fortunate to be there after their group match against Australia was washed out with Australia on the verge of victory. They haven't quite stormed into the semi-finals, but they are there, the first semi-final in their history. I wonder though if the tournament is heading for another England versus India final this time at the Oval next Sunday. And I wonder whether England, if that does happen, will think back to that time they played at India in the last final here in, at Edgbaston in 2013. Anyway, we'll hear from Kumar Sangakkara who, of course, has been commentating on this tournament for TV, and he reveals his plans for life after cricket and who he thinks might win the tournament. And we'll also hear from Michael Slater, who assesses Australia's performance and tells us what he thinks of England. Amazing. We've got an Aussie who actually thinks England are quite good. It's incredible. Anyway, you can subscribe to the Analyst Inside Cricket so you'll get the programme automatically each week. Just click on the button where it says subscribe. And please continue to leave reviews of this podcast on iTunes. We'd love to know... What you think. Right, Champions Trophy then. England in the semi-finals. How good were they on Saturday against Australia? I think they were very good uh, for two reasons. I thought they 
hunted Australia down when Australia batted. There were times when you thought Australia would get well over 300. Steve Smith was looking dangerous. Obviously, David Warner didn't really kick on after his start. Uh, they got Aaron Finch. They didn't get, let anyone get a big score because they kept chipping away at their batting. And who, who were really good that particular day? Mark Wood, who's been good throughout the tournament. But Adil Rashid as well, bowling superbly. He doesn't bowl that rubbishy long hop anymore and he seems much more confident nobody can pick his googly in certainly in white ball cricket i think and those two really trimmed australia to what 270 it was a fairly pathetic end to australia's innings really and then england recovering from that terrible start six for two 30 for three just completely rebuilding almost as if they hadn't lost those three wickets the way that stokes and and morgan played was fabulous and completely un-english they had license though, didn't they? I know England have that license to play now because that's you know that's what they've been given by the by the coaches. But they knew they could come out and you know if they were punished by losing two or three more quick wickets and they lost the game, it ultimately didn't make that much difference. Other than the fact, of course, that they could have you know they had the chance to knock Australia out of the tournament. Yeah. That's not that's not to criticise England's performance, but they, they they could play with more freedom. Perhaps Australia was just a bit tighter for them. It was a it was a huge match. It was a must win game for England. It, it, it wasn't that. But, I mean, what, a, what an innings from Stokes. Yeah, what an innings from Stokes. But, but just, just to go back on that point, uh, uh, England faltered badly against South Africa in the third game of the series, the one-day series, having won it. You know, they were 20 for six. And everyone said, oh, you know, England don't care when there's yeah. a dead rubber match. And, you know, they, they didn't play well that day. They lost the game ha- handsomely. But this time, against the old enemy, they stood up and they were really ruthless. And I just like the way that... You mentioned Stokes. Yeah, fantastic innings. Kept it very simple. Bunted it down the ground. Pulled it when it was short. Didn't try anything too extravagant. Just played within his particular method of playing. Didn't try anything too flamboyant, really. And, and the power he had, just blocking the ball for four. He doesn't have to do any more than that, really. And uh, not worrying, you know, if occasionally his scoring rate just lagged a bit. Just, you know, waited for the right ball to hit. And... Fairly unimaginative bowling by Australia, I have to say. But Morgan, as well, just regaining the initiative straight after the rain break. I think the rain helped England a tiny bit because the the pitch greased up and the ball slid onto the bat a little bit better. But you still got to bat well. And I particularly like the way that Morgan played his cut shot. There was this sort of real clinical ruthlessness about the way he put the ball away on the offside when the ball was a bit short and one or two of his shots I mean the the shot he played off Hazelwood when they brought Hazelwood back to try and rest a bit of control he bowled one good over and then about the second ball of his second over Morgan just skipped up the pitch and bunted it back over deep mid wicket into about the 20th row incredible shot incredible confidence incredible self-belief smart cricket and, and totally blew Australia out of the water and out of the tournament. I have to say, I mean, watching the game, it was a bit like the, the type of performance Australia used to produce against England, yeah. in a way, just sort yes. of utterly dismissive. You're, you're not quite good enough, yeah. and we're going we're gonna to see you off. And that, that was the way they played. And that was, and, you know, it was, it was 92-mile-an-hour bowlers just being toyed with as if they were spinners. People like Pat Cummings and, to a lesser extent, Mitchell Stark just smacked around as if they were... Practically clubbies. In fact, it reminded me a little bit of the performance England put in in 2004 at Edgbaston, also in the Champions Trophy. That was a semi-final, and England smacked Australia, gave them a real smack bottom that day. And of course, that led to England then getting this momentum going and winning the Ashes in 2005. Yeah, this is this is a bit of a left field question actually. 
Ben Stokes on, on Saturday. I think um, I saw his 250 in, in Cape Town, and that was a magnificent innings. And he, he played superbly that day. But he, he was sort of going, almost going at everything. Yeah. Saturday there was a sort of ruthless control about yeah. his batting, and, and, yeah. and obviously tremendous power as well, thrilling shots. Do you think that if he's got that much potential with the bat, that he should? Concentrate a lot more on his batting and not bowl as much as his career goes on, and therefore, you know, become a batsman who bowls just occasionally. Or do you think he he, he just got to continue in the all rounder mode, you know, with with that license at number six? I think he's someone who loves being involved in the game, and therefore you've got to sort of let him have his head a bit. But bowling is unbelievably demanding, and if you look at, say, Ian Botham's career, I mean, Ian Botham scored 14 Test 100s, which is phenomenal, actually, for a guy who was chiefly a bowler and and took over 380 wickets in Test cricket. But I feel if Botham didn't have to do the amount of bowling he did, he could have batted even better. He probably would have scored 20 Test 100s. And I think that there is no doubt that bowling does take the edge off your mental capacity to bat a long time it makes you almost conditioned if you're a fast bowler to bat in a more aggressive way that might suit Stokes but I certainly think he's got the ability to bat at number four and five and as injuries catch up with him and his bowling loses its little bit of an edge probably he will be just a batsman who bowls a few overs here and there yeah I mean that, that's that's my point really is that he, he is now good enough to bat for England yeah. and, in, and in, in the top fielding in the well. top five isn't yeah. he yeah, yeah, cool. yeah absolutely at, at all levels you know all levels yeah. of the game tests yeah. and, and one day internationals and, and, and there was a shot places. he played to, to back up your sort of thing about ruthlessness there was a shot he played off Cummins who was bowling rapidly just outside off stump and he just stepped across slightly and just punched it wide of mid-on for four with just a barely a follow-through but just so clever that the the precision of the shot really marked him out as someone who's got that extra x-factor talent yeah and i really love the shot the short ball that brought him his 50 as well start dropped it in short and hook shot for six i think it's one of the great aspects of cricket that a thrilling hook shot that, that goes for six of a fast bowler that was absolutely sensational so that was england on saturday england on wednesday up against pakistan what what, what are they Got, got to fear from, from Pakistan I think the pitch is, is going to help the bowlers a bit, we're playing on the same pitch as the, uh, the match between Sri Lanka and Pakistan that's just completed, it, there's a little bit of grip there for the seamers if they bowl well, but I think England's bowlers being tall, especially Plunkett Jake Ball, Stokes himself, will get that little bit of help out of the pitch, and Mark Wood will have the pace to exploit it uh, and I think, as a result, the Pakistani batsmen are going to have a lot of trouble because there's no one I, there I, that I see in that Pakistan top five who would really pose a threat to England. Sarfraz is their best player. He, he played the, the match-winning innings today. So I don't think they, they have much to worry about about Pakistan's batting. Their bowling is pretty good. Mohammed Amir, Junaid Khan and the two right armers, steady attack. But I can just see England with the depth and, and confidence that they're playing with at the moment still making making a big score, even though those bowlers are pretty good. So I, I don't see any real problems for, for England. Well, this is a, an English view on England and, and Pakistan, but you've you been getting an Australian view as well. Well, I'm delighted to say we can, we can hear from Michael Slater, who I worked with for, for many years on Channel 4. Of course, the ex-Australian opening batsman, a swashbuckler of, of his own uh, ilk, really. I mean, a, a great player. 
player, great to watch, great entertainer. And he's been watching this game, working for TV, working for the, the commentary. Uh, and it was interesting to see what his perspective was of England's challenge against Pakistan. Look, the only issue is turning up and, and not playing somewhere near their best. If England turn up and play the way they've been playing, I think they'll win quite comfortably. If they're a little bit off and the mercurial Pakistan have that day out, they're a banana skin. You can trip over them and all of a sudden you've played and won everything and then you're out of the final. So I, I don't think we'll see that because I think we've seen a very professional um, outfit. I think what was a, a real highlight for me the other day was England against Australia. In that run chase, they were three for not many at all. Mm. and they rebuilt again. I mean, I think that shows the character of the side, and at that moment Australia probably thought, oh, we've got these guys, but then Stokes and Morgan just put this massive partnership together. Not only put it together, but it was very confident and positive, and that was a good sign. Actually, you're a good man to commentate on England-Australia, not only because you played for Australia, but because you have a sort of English background and English ancestry and stuff. Yeah. So your foot is in both camps, so we can sort of take the piss out of you as an Aussie, but... You sort of see it from both sides in a way. Yeah, I do. I wanted Australia to get through. I thought for the Champions Trophy, I, I thought it would be nice Australia to be in that final four and it'd be um, yeah, with well, their number two ranked side in the ICC ranking. So I, they, they played poorly, Australia. I didn't like the balance of their side. They didn't look like they had energy in their first game against New Zealand. So obviously I was going for Australia, but I like seeing England play well. I just think that's great for world cricket. And, and maybe that comes back to that history tradition of the Ashes and all that sort of stuff. But I like it when England are playing well. And I think England in the last year and a half have really turned their one-day international consistency around. Prior to that, and certainly the World Cup, it was poor. Actually, um, I suppose going to Edgbaston, you know, you probably had a bad feeling about it, that, that game, that last match, because you were the last player, mm. part of an Australian side, that won at Edgbaston. Mm. And since then, it's been a horrible... The horror show be yeah. every time you've been dumped by. It's England. been a yeah, it's been a blackout. <laughs> it's one of those. And it, and it, I, I it's just, like the Gabba for England, right? Yeah. Well, we should, should we should call it the the Edgetoir or something? I yeah, suppose. yeah, that's right. The Gabbatoir. Gabba, Gabba Gabba some kind of. We'd have to think of a of a word to describe yes. Edgbaston for Australians because that game was it 2001 when you yeah. lashed. Goffey for about 18 off and over. Yeah, that was the first over of the innings. And I can't really remember that over. I was in such an out, it was an out-of-body experience. I got out there and we'd been chasing leather. That final partnership was probably worth 70, I think. It was a Caddick and Alex Stewart. And then very quickly out there and I was a bit jumpy and then smacked Goffey around. He got me first up next morning for 70-odd. I don't think I scored another run the next day, which was a bummer. <laughs> and since then, 16 years have, have hurt for Australia at Edgbaston, yeah. and they're on the way back. And I mean, they weren't, they just weren't together, were they? I mean, I couldn't believe they had Moses Honriquez at, at number four. Yeah, you, know, you think of the great Australian sides of the last 15 years with people like Mark Waugh and Adam Gilchrist, and obviously yourself and Ricky Ponting in that top four, mm. and suddenly they've got a player like Moses Honriquez. It was very un Australian. Yeah, look, I don't mind if they think that's the way to go if it's a World Cup and you've got a lot of games and you can find out very quickly whether the balance is out having a guy. But in that role, but it was really strange because prior to that he'd only played eight one day as he batted six, seven and eight and now he's batting at number four and that's a pivotal spot for me. Where, where we missed out, I believe, is that Chris Lynn didn't play. Yeah, he's yeah. one of the most powerful hitters in world I've cricket. Seen it. And yeah, I know it comes probably. down to probably 
the 2020 game being the standout for him. But if he was given that role as an opening batsman, and I would have batted Finch at three, would have put Steve Smith at four, and then you've got Travis Head could come in as a left-hander, or Maxwell, and you've got this stronger balance, which would have meant Enrique's out of the side, but I think they missed a trick not getting Lynn in there somewhere. I mean, you've got three games to qualify for the semi-final. You've got to hit the ground running. You've got to really feel you've got the balance in the side, and I don't think we did. You're amazing. You haven't mentioned the weather once. Well, you, you can't control the weather. I mean, even... Look... The second one against Bangladesh, when we were going to win, we needed four overs to take those two points, which is all that we, we needed. But it came down to having to win and beat England, and it was as simple as that, and we weren't good enough. So, final, England-India, do you think? Well, I think it's the sensible bet, isn't it? Unless something absolutely crazy happens. I can't see any complacency You've got India, who are the defending champions. They've played well enough for me. I know they got chased down the other day, but they've played well enough. They've got a couple of guys that can go to another level, and probably Kohli's that guy. Sharma can turn it on and get 150, opening the batting. You've got all sorts of firepower there. And I think their bowling has improved out of sight as well. Mm. And then I see England, and they've got this extremely balanced and informed team. So... I can't see how it won't be England-India and it'll be a ding-dong final if that's the case. And w- would you put Bairstow in now instead of Jason Roy? Yeah, I would actually. I'd, mm. make, the t- I'd make the shift. I know mm. it's a big ass late in the tournament and you like to persist with a player but he just hasn't shown anything. So I, I would make that change and it'd be the one change. And Australia now ho- heading home to get ready for the Ashes in about five months' time when we can come and try and steal it off you again. Yeah. I mean, how's that with the sort of Australian contractual dispute going on and things? I mean, I suppose that'll all be sorted by the time of the Ashes. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Otherwise, we, I might be back playing. You know, the players yeah. won't be... They'll well, Sanger Khan nearly played for Sri Lanka. Yeah, look, I think it'll be sorted out. The players, for me, hold the power. Um, Cricket Australia are trying to get away from a revenue share model. It's been in play for 20 years. I was part of that set up of the Cricketers Association back in 97 on the Ashes and we had private meetings going on left, right and centre. And that's where this whole revenue share, 26% of the overall revenue, goes to the players and it's divvied up in their salary. Cricket Australia want to get away from that and the reason they want to get away from it is to control the domestic players' income because they feel it's just going year in, year out. It's increasing too much. I can understand where they're coming from. They want to take that cream and pump it into grassroots cricket. But if I'm a player and still playing, I'm going as hard as I can to keep the model. And when you've got a model that's been there for 20 years, it's very hard to change it. So the players stick together. There's no middle ground here. I can't see how they can negotiate some sort of middle ground. I think the players win this. Thank you very much for your time, Michael. Wonderful to see you again, mate. Enjoy your trip back to London, and we'll see you on Wednesday. Well, that's Michael Slater. You feel that they have to sort it out, don't you? There's no alternative. If they don't, they haven't got a game. So the players are, are the game, and there's a bit of brinkmanship, but they'll give in in the end the ball, I'm sure, and sort it out. And they have to, because the Ashes is their golden chalice, isn't it? It is indeed. After the break, we're going to hear from Kumar Sangakkara, his plans for the future. We'll also look at the other semi-final between India and Bangladesh. Back in a moment. Welcome back. So the other semi-final is India against Bangladesh, and that game at Edgbaston on Thursday. Can you see... Any chance for Bangladesh at all? Can you? 
Not really. Not really, but... And they have beaten them five times in 32 one-day internationals. They did win the last one-day series they played against them. They did beat them in the World Cup of 2007. They are a much-improved side, mm. but I just wonder whether India have got the, the bad game out of their system. They lost to Sri Lanka heavily at the Oval, and I just feel that they're too good a side to be down in a game like this. Yeah, and, and you're right, Bangladesh are, are a spirited team. Uh, of course, they beat India in the 2007 mm. World Cup in the West Indies. That was a, a real upset. But, and they're a better team than that now, with uh, people like Tammy McMull, one of the leading run scorers in the, the tournament so far. I really like Shakib al-Hassan, a, a very combative all-rounder, in-your-face sort of cricketer, very clever with the ball, artistic and, and aggressive with the bat. And Multaza, the, the, the captain, a little bit lost his edge as a, as a fast bowler. But they've got enough players who can hurt India in small ways, but just not. The bigger picture is India just got too much depth, too much experience, too much ability. And the only way that Bangladesh could possibly effect an upset would be if they put India into bat. I do feel there is this still this lingering selfishness in Indian cricket particularly in Indian batting that they like their their stats they like their hundreds they like their averages being high sometimes they don't put the team first and I think that can sometimes hamper them in one day cricket that where they don't perhaps take as much risk as as they should at certain times I don't certainly apply that to to Kohli but if you look at their strike rates uh, as a top six only a couple of them have strike rates over 100. One of them, of course, is Coley. I don't think Dhoni's quite as good, actually, as he was two or three years ago. He's a bit one-sided in his shot-making towards the end. I mean, obviously, he's still got these incredibly fast hands. He's a brilliant player. But if you bowl wide outside off stump, he still tries to hack everything over the leg side. And I think he's a bit one-dimensional, actually, as a, as a sort of lower-order hitter or a number-five hitter. And... The, the thing about it, putting India into bat is if they don't play that well and they don't get enough runs and they lose, they can blame the bowlers. But if they bat second and they lose, they can't blame the bowlers. So that's the way to beat them, make them bat first. Right, and, and hope they don't get a, a really huge score and then one of your experienced or a couple of your experienced players get together as Shakib and Mamadullah did here in the, in the group match against New Zealand yeah and, and of course the Sri Lankans capitalised on the fact that India just didn't get enough runs at the Oval mm. they should have got 350 we said that throughout their innings but there were times in their innings actually particularly at the start where they just didn't really take the bowlers on they didn't put the bowlers under enough pressure Owen Morgan said uh, in his post uh, interview uh, post match interview against Australia he said you know our philosophy is always put the bowlers under pressure. That's what you've got to do in one-day cricket as a batsman. It's different from test cricket. In test cricket, you can wait for the right ball to hit. But in one-day cricket, you've got to be much more proactive, especially in the modern game. So you don't sense it's sort of like a, a repeat of 1996 when Sri Lanka came from nowhere almost. It felt as if they did anyway. You know, you no one would have had them down as winners in 1996 of the World Cup. You don't see Bangladesh as quite as advanced in their international cricket as Sri Lanka were in 1996 no, at the moment. No, definitely not. But they've got some good people behind the scenes. Bangladesh now, including obviously Courtney Walsh working as, as their bowling coach, and Richard Halsell, who was the England fielding coach and is doing a lot of good work with Bangladesh, but they haven't got enough ability to, to really hurt India. Well, we'll see. It feels like England against India next Sunday, but we have seen some upsets in this tournament. Now, you've been talking to 
Kumar Sangakara. He's been, he's been, among other things, he's been revealing his, his future plans, his, his life plans to you. He's, he's a, a, a fascinating character. Of course, he's been commentating as well on, the, uh, on this tournament, uh, taking a little break from batting for Surrey after that amazing series of 500s in a row. Um, what I wanted to talk to him about, really, was you know, his approach to commentary, what he's learnt from commentary, what he's going to do after commentary, and who he thinks might win the tournament. I think I'll take playing above commentating any day, uh, but it's interesting to you know have a dabble at, um, at the commentating game. It's great to work alongside brilliant commentators. I um, think Nasser Hussain and Sarif Ganguly and, and Ian Bishop and everyone else are outstanding. Um, you know they were outstanding players, but also on the mic they, they they're amazing. So it's great. It's a great experience and a learning curve for me to sit next to them and, and really talk and also just listen. And what have you learned? Have you, have you learned anything surprising? Has anything surprised you about the game from watching it? Um, not really. I'm probably more of an expert up here than I would have been down on the field. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's kind of a fresh new thing. So you learn as you, as you go along. Uh, you know, you're supposed to be an impartial kind of a third eye on the game. So it's not, you know, we or us, but it's more Sri Lanka, which, of course, I struggle with because I still have that you know strong connection so it takes a while for me to make sure that I you know say Sri Lanka instead of VR so little things like that which is which is funny in a way but also important in this job and uh, what's the future then if you have had a little you know dabble at this you're going to retire at the end of the year more commentary perhaps I on and off probably I don't think I'm made for the commentator's life which is probably more in travel intensive than a player's so probably subsistence farming is an option that I might uh, pursue back home. Who knows? Wow. Lots to do. Is that serious? That is definitely serious. That's something I've been uh, speaking to my wife about. Just farm the land and simplify as and, much as possible. And, li- and live off it? Hopefully, yes. If I'm a good enough farmer, maybe. Who knows? But uh, So you're, a ri- you're going to be a rice <coughs> cultivator then, are you? Could be rice, vegetables. Uh, um, I think it, I know, it would maybe live, we try and grow as much of the food, like the vegetables we consume, we try and uh, grow it at home. And uh, Sri Lanka's got a proud tradition in, in cultivation. And it's an, exciting, it's, it's an exciting new thing. I played tennis when I was very young with, a, with a, a friend of mine who's gone into serious agriculture and he takes great pride in, in growing food with his hands. And he's done a very good job. I'm not sure if I have a green thumb, but uh, I'll wait and see. Oh, well, good luck with that. Um, final question. Can you pick a winner out of this tournament? I think England's played fantastic cricket. I think India's looked in absolute top form. Um, and out of the two sides, I would probably go with India because there's such an experienced side. There's so much variety. So I can just see Kumar in his, his long wellies paddling around the paddy fields, you know, doing a bit of, uh, bit of rice cultivation. Uh, when you asked him that question, that was almost the last thing I expected yeah. him to say. I thought he was a lawyer or politician or, yeah. you know, get, go into coaching or something like that, but he wants to be a farmer. Might be fishing, actually, as well, because he's got a fish restaurant in Colombo. Very nice. Of course, you wouldn't know. Oh, you would, actually. Yeah. You do eat fish, well, don't you? I do eat fish, yeah. I have a horrible memory, listeners, of taking <laughs> Simon Mann, vegetarian, to a, a well, beef... Pescatarian, pescatarian. Beef, to a beef restaurant in, uh, in Guyana, wasn't it? A Brazilian kind of beef and meat restaurant and you're looking around thinking what the hell can I eat here sorry about that and I remember your comment can't you just eat meat for the evening 
And anyway, he, anyway, anyway, the drinks the drinks were very good that evening. You certainly introduced me to some uh, decent think, uh, Guyanese drinks. God knows, that sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> Let's finish with our, our Royal London Player of the Week and our low light highlight. Well, I think Royal London Player of the Week, I mean, there's, there's only one candidate this week. Well, well, though, Owen Morgan played on Sunday and he has led England through to the semi-finals of the Champions Trophy. It's got to be Ben Stokes. What an innings that was. It was a fabulous innings. I mean, you saw it at, uh, in, the, in the flesh. I only saw it on telly. And on telly, you wanted to watch it from behind the sofa. There was so much power. You definitely didn't want to be a bowler that day, bowling at him. His bat looked like a barn door. Yeah, it, absolutely brilliant. That, that control he had, that controlled aggression. Wow, you know, what a player he's going to be for him. What a player he is, but what a player he, you know, he could be. The sort of first glimpse, I think, at uh, the weekend of just that feeling that he could step up to another level uh, as a batsman. Yes, Treating these sort of 92 mile an hour bowlers as if they were medium pace trundlers and always having the, the right, taking the right option. There was no, I remember, you know, some of these one day innings he played in the past, he'd get to 20 or 30 and have a big hack yeah, and try and hit the exactly. ball too hard and, you know, get out, hit top edge, or, and he'd be swiping at the ground in annoyance at himself. Now he's much calmer. Isn't he? He's, he's got that kind of clinical way of, of dissecting an attack with with this incredible power. And there was a block for four, which was just a four defensive, and it bounced over the bowler's head and and flew to the boundary. And I, I, the, yeah, I mean, he his potential is limitless. Yeah. Let's finish with our, our low light highlight. Uh, as a low light, I mean, you could almost argue this is a highlight as well. But I, for a low light, I'm going to go for South Africa's running between the wickets against India, and they should put that on the on the comedy channel on a loop because it, it was hilarious it's always great when it happens to a, a, another team rather than, <laughs> rather than your team but I mean just absolutely sensationally awful running between the wickets and it, it defied really description didn't it particularly the, the, the incident between Duplessis and, and David Miller where Duplessis sliced one to backward point and then did a sort of pirouette did a 360 degrees and came back into his ground uh, and, and meanwhile David Miller was herring up the wicket at diagonally and they both ended up diving in at the same point at the same end there's, no, mean, there's nothing funnier than two batsmen diving to it, make it, ground at the, at the same it, end it was, in the match it, it did a, it, you couldn't say it was schoolboy because it was disrespectful to, to the schoolboys it was, it was pure comedy and our highlight of the week? Well, yeah, Jason Roy's catch has to be, doesn't it, on the boundary. I mean, England practised this a lot, and Stokes in particular excels at it, and he took a great catch like that in the IPL. But Jason Roy, to take that, it was a flat hit from Glenn Maxwell, wasn't it? Real power. And he was on the edge of the boundary. It would have gone for six. And to be able to, to catch it at full stretch, jump up, land with his foot an inch inside the boundary rope and not go over the boundary rope until he'd thrown the ball up in the air for a little catch to himself, jump back over the rope to, to take it. The coolness as well as the agility was phenomenal. And they, they, they were looking at it, looking at it. The third umpire was looking, looking, looking. What they were looking for was they just had a suspicion that the flap of Jason Roy's trousers flicked the boundary rope, but they couldn't detect it. And in a situation like that, it goes in favour of the fielding side. And I was hoping, as a result of that catch, that Jason Roy would, would make runs mm. and be confident, but he just looked 
out of sorts again with the bat and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he gets replaced before the semi-final. Yeah. Well, this time next week, we'll know who's won the Champions Trophy and we'll reflect on the tournament as a whole. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'll be back with you in a week's time. I'm hoping that we see Owen Morgan lifted on Sunday. Well, it could be. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.